coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Well, for a very long time, the word Advent was a very strange and a foreign sounding word to me. It always sounded very Catholic-y, and as a result of that, I avoided the word. I didn't even care what it meant. And yet the more that I have really learned just what exactly that word Advent actually means, my understanding and my gratitude and my love for Christ has exploded as a result of it. All that word Advent means, by the way, is just the arrival or the emergence of something extraordinary that has been long anticipated. And so what I want to do for the month of December is to spend the next few weeks in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. In the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And I love Isaiah because he is a right-brained messenger of the Word of God. He is a very creative um, prophet, as most of the Old Covenant prophets were. Isaiah is a messenger who would preach in poetry. What we're going to see in this series is prophecy that has a prose. And scattered all throughout the book of Isaiah are all of these exquisite portraits of the love of God. He gives us many vivid glimpses into what Jesus looks like and into his characteristics. And yet as is the old story for all of these men who had served in this capacity. He's living in a very violent and in a dark age of spiritual corruption. It is a time and it's a people who are calling what is evil good and what is good evil, who substitute the light for that which is dark and who exchange what is sweet for what is bitter. It's a nation who is saying to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy what is right, but rather prophesy illusions and just let us know what we want to hear. And I admire these men such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and so many of the others because with very few exceptions, we see a pattern in all of these prophets where for 40 or 50 years you are going to continuously speak unpopular, uncomfortable truths. It's going to get rejected almost always. You're going to become very quickly a combination of something like public enemy number one and the village idiot of Jerusalem. And then at the very end they will stone you to death or they will you know, decapitate you and kick your head around like a soccer ball. And then it's like, Isaiah, are you ready to get started now? And that's what it's like being a prophet in this time. And so he's living in a, a time of political and moral upheaval. Where he begins warning them in chapter 7, I believe it is, maybe chapter 8, that, that Assyria is going to come thundering in. And they're going to lead people away in droves. It's coming. And so I like to begin in chapter 8 and starting at verse 21, where we really capture what is happening in the nation and society in this time. 
It says in chapter 8, starting in verse 21, that they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and, and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into a thick. And then he uses the word that is very appropriate for Advent, and that is the word of of um, darkness, he says. Well, obviously, that is not what I want to impress either this morning or in the weeks which lie ahead. But rather, more than anything else, Isaiah's eyes are fixated even further ahead on the horizon. And it is in this calamitous social climate that Isaiah says, yes, calamity is coming. Yes, the darkness is getting darker by every moment. But there's a great light that is burning at the end of a tunnel. That even though the tree of the house of David is going to be coming down like the Trade Center Towers, there's still life in the stump of that tree. For out of the lineage of King David, one day, he says, one day, one day, a Messiah is coming, and a kingdom is going to get built and instituted. And we love Isaiah as much as we do, because he speaks more about the advent of this coming Messiah than anyone else does in all of Scripture. This is called the fifth gospel, what we find in the book of Isaiah, he speaks so much, so so obsessive compulsively about this Messiah who is, um, who is to come. Then at last in chapter 9, and this is where I would like to be for these next many weeks. Where in Isaiah chapter 9 and starting in verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born. And to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then he says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And so immediately from the jump, what we see is that Advent is so much more than just merely unto us a child is born in a manger. Rather, what Isaiah is impressing on our minds is that unto us also a counselor is given. Now, when a child would be born in this ancient world, what you name that child was of enormous importance. What you name the child was conveying to the world who your child was as a person. It was the essence of their character and I mean, who they were as a human being. This is why when Isaiah's mom and dad named him Isaiah, it wasn't Isaiah as much as it meant that Yahweh is salvation. And so this means that whenever anybody had called his name or, or he had introduced himself to another person, he, he wasn't saying, my name is Isaiah, but he was saying, Yahweh is salvation. And that person had been saying, hey, Yahweh is salvation. And you know, that's not exactly the case in our society, is it? Where a lot of people name children in a very flippant way. 
I remember a few years ago, I believe it was in Arkansas, there, there had been a couple who loved going to the Olive Garden. And they were so obsessed with going to the Olive Garden. Um, and by the way, their, their last name was Gartzen, G-A-R-T-E-N. And so when they had a daughter, they actually named her Olivia after the Olive Garden, Olivia Gartzen. My mom works in the administration of a school district, and as you might imagine, she has seen a lot of names on registers through the years. And she'll never forget one particular father who had come in, had a couple of sons. One was named Rage, and the other one was named Riot. Rage and Riot. And I know that just, it sets your, your heart aflutter with, with all kinds of Christmas um, happiness, doesn't it? Rage and Riot. I also remember not that long ago how in New Zealand, the Internal Affairs Department had to step in and to prevent a father and mother from actually naming their, their son Lucifer. And so we're living in a time where naming children really isn't all that important as it was then. And there's a lot of other people, though, who never exactly live up to their name. I think about an actor whose name is Albert Brooks. I don't know if you remember him, but his real last name is Einstein. And so what this means is that when Albert Brooks had been born, his mom and dad intentionally named him Albert Einstein. And that is why we know him not as Albert Einstein, but as Albert Brooks, because I don't care what you do, you're not going to live up to a name like that. And I think about a basketball player who you've never heard of, but he had played 20 games in the NBA, scored 61 points in his whole entire career, and yet his name was God. His parents literally named him God Sham God, and that's why we have no idea who he is, because you're not going to live up to a name like that. And yet, having said that, though, what about Jesus? You see, Jesus is so incredibly awesome and powerful that you could not just give one name to, to Christ Jesus. And this is why if we read in our Bibles, we will find hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of names for our Messiah. He cannot be confined to just a single name. And so in our text here in, here in Isaiah chapter 9, we find a couple of names first that we read. And the first is, is the word wonderful. Where the word wonderful, as used here in the Hebrew language, is defined as something that, that incites a stupefying amazement. It's the same word that we find king of Israel using in Psalm 139, as he says about God's holy presence, that, that such knowledge is too wonderful for me, and I cannot attain it. And yet, as the Messiah is being described here, his very name is wonderful. And yet then Isaiah says that not only is he wonderful, but he is wonderful counselor. Now, a counselor was a very important um, a personality who would usually be an advisor who would be seated at the right hand of kings and of queens and of a prince. A person who was known for their, their vast wisdom 
and knowledge. And yet we also remember, though, how Israel had a king who was King Solomon, who, who all these people from all over the known world at that time came just to sit at his feet and listen to his Proverbs. We also read how all the other kings in that region would, would go and also sit at his feet. And so Solomon had been a figure who, was, who had a reputation of, this is king of kings, and you need to listen to everything that comes out of his mouth. Well, and then Jesus comes to our world. And all of that seems like child's play in comparison. John the Baptist is standing at the Jordan River one morning and he begins prophesying about Jesus. And what he says about Christ is that soon is going to come one far greater than I, whose sandals we are not even worthy to untie. He's going to be far greater than all of of all the other mouthpieces and prophets we've ever heard. And yet as Jesus comes, one day he is stand, or he's standing on a mountain. And he's standing there conversing with Moses and Elijah, the, the embodiment of the law and the prophets. And then all of a sudden a voice resounds from heaven, and the voice of God the Father says, with regards to God the Son, this is my beloved Son. In other words, this is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Oracle of Oracles, Counselor of Counselors, Advisor of Advisors. Listen to Him. Listen to everything that comes out of His mouth. This is why, as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, what he says about Christ is that Jesus has become to us wisdom that has come down from God. Or as he writes to the church at Colossae, what he says is that in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, he says. James is writing about wisdom, and he says that if anybody out there is lacking wisdom, we are not helpless or hopeless, but we have a great advisor. We have a miraculous advisor, Jesus, who will give us that knowledge when we need it. When we seek it with all of our hearts. And so Isaiah is saying that calamity is coming, but there is also going to be deliverance. And yet the only issue with that, though, and a problem with all of this, is that Advent is not an overnight process. Advent is a very long process where we wait, and we wait and we wait for God to show up. And I think we used to be good at waiting in this country. I remember many years ago when I was a kid, if I wanted to watch a certain movie, I would have to wait the whole entire week before we went to a blockbuster video on a Friday you know, night. And even when you get there, they might not actually have the movie. So guess what? You have to wait until the next week just to get that movie. And yet we're living in a time now where if you want to watch any movie that, that comes to mind, you're just eight seconds away from having it on your screen. Any movie instantly on your television. You, you don't even have to leave the house anymore. I remember when I would also hear a song that I wanted to, to own. I would have to save up weeks, you know, week after week. 
and buy the whole entire CD, but now if you want a song. I mean, I've spoken before about, or, um, about actually buying a song, having it on, on my device within four seconds at a red light. I mean, it's just crazy the instant age that we're living in. And I fear that we have become so accustomed to a society where our mantra is, out of a Staples commercial, well, that was easy. And yet that is not a philosophy, though, with regards to Advent, though. You see, what Advent is all about is, how long, Lord? Lord, how long is this going to continue? And we see it with the Israelites over and over and over again. I mean, 430 years the Israelites spend in Egyptian slavery. That's two times longer than the United States of America has existed as a nation. Well, after that, God, he liberates them out of slavery. And now it's, oh Lord, thank you so much. We are going to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. Yet the only issue is, is that a 40-year Advent spent wandering and meandering in the desert is just now beginning for them. As we hear Isaiah writing these very words in Isaiah chapter 9, I mean, what we have to understand is that this is 800 years, give or take. 800 years before Christ would be born in the manger. Isaiah's grandchildren's 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 great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren, none of them are going to live to see this day come to fruition. I think about Malachi as he is the last prophet to speak before John the baptizer, but once his pen goes silent, the old covenant comes to an end. There is a 400-year-plus gap between Malachi and the manger. 400 years of an advent, excruciating, utter, total silence. And yet, what about us? I think I speak for all of us when I say that the year 2020 itself is one never-ending, seemingly never-ending advent. I think everybody is just yearning for New Year's to get here and a new, you know, a brand new year 2021 to get here. We, we are through with 2020. I was reading the other day about a, um, about a thing called a pandemic fatigue where, where just about everybody now is so fed up with, with, with words like social um, distancing and wearing masks and and, you know, the word coronavirus, that they just stop trying in their caution. And many, many people are succumbing to the virus now because we are just so tired of the coronavirus. Or maybe what your advent is, is inside your own house. Where you have a son or a daughter or a mother or a father or a spouse who, who still, after all these years, is not walking in the light with Jesus. And you have lived all of these years in, in such a beautiful way in your house, exemplifying Christian love and Christian joy. But for whatever reason, they just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And they still live in rejection to the Lordship of Christ. 
I think the ultimate Christian advent, though, is in the last words of Scripture where, where what Jesus promises his, his church and his listeners is, Behold, I am coming soon. We read this and we just scratch our heads. That was over two millennia ago. Jesus, what are you talking about? You're coming soon. And it just feels like his return is never going to get here. And that, in so many ways, is what Advent is. And I love so much what a minister named Brian Zahn says about Advent, where he says that in our one-click, instant-access, high-speed culture, waiting now feels so old-fashioned. But, he adds, the acts of God are not available on Amazon for same-day delivery. Another writer whose name is Ann Voskamp says that Advent does not rush through the dark ahead of us, but rather Advent sits in the darkness and yearns for the light of the only one who went to the tree of Calvary in order to shatter the dark for all of us. You see, the beauty of what Advent is is that we have got to learn this very holy, sacred art of, of Advent of waiting and of withstanding in the darkness. Because when we learn to wait in our darkness, what is happening is that our souls are being formed as God has our undivided attention. And in my morning prayers, there is a word that is intentionally omitted from it. And it is the word hallelujah. And the idea behind that is that even though clearly we can say hallelujah whenever we, we are inclined to say it. It's just the idea of, I want to immerse myself in the practice of Advent. Where from late November all the way to Resurrection Sunday in April, I'm going to withhold the word hallelujah. And then as Resurrection Easter Sunday finally rolls around and you pray hallelujah once again, and you hear that word coming out of your mouth, hallelujah, you actually feel as if you are standing at the empty tomb with the women. And then you begin bringing that kind of empty tomb energy to the communion table, to the pulpit, to giving, and as we live the Christian life from day to day. And I think what the essence and what the beauty of Advent is, is that the longer that we have to wait in the darkness, the more vicious the ache is for us, the more ferocious our happiness and deliverance is going to be when the morning comes. So Isaiah says to his listeners that Advent and that a deliverance is coming for us. And yet in the meantime, what I want to say to us in closing this morning is, is that we've got to choose our, our advisors very, very, very carefully. I mentioned a moment ago a former king of Israel, Solomon, and what, what he says about counselors in, their, um, in the book of Proverbs, he says in one place that where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Yet again, he says in chapter 15 of Proverbs, verse 22, that without counsel, plans fail. And yet with many advisors, they will succeed. 
And I think about U.S. presidents as I hear that word advisor. I mean, how many presidents have we seen in our lifetime? I mean, the most powerful men in the free world. And yet as much power as they have accumulated in their office, they have a room full of advisors who they are to listen to. Where even though they are a president, what they hear from them so often in meetings is that, Mr. President, may I recommend this course of action for our nation to take? Or, Mr. President, that would not be exactly a wise direction for us to move toward. Instead, could I humbly recommend this? And if John F. Kennedy and Jimmy Carter and George Bush and... and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and, and our current president, Donald Trump, need a room full and an army of advisors, then how many more advisors do you and I need as we live the Christian life? And yet it comes at a price, though, because again, we, we have to be very, very, very careful who we look to for truth. we got to be very cautious who we are allowing to speak into our lives. And I learned this the hard way about four or five years ago when I went to a counselor for the very first time. I didn't know how to silence all of the anxiety in my mind, and so I went to a counselor, and it was not a Christian counselor. I never heard of Christian counseling, so I just thought, well, I'll just go to this one over here. I get about four or five counseling sessions in and all of a sudden I'm in her office and what I hear coming or, or um, speaking to me from across the room is what I'm trying to impress upon your mind, Mr. Creek, is that you need to get rid of the influence of Jesus Christ in your life. You need to get all the scripture out of your, your life and just get on with your life. My head just slowly went up. I stand up and I just slowly and calmly just flick however much cash I, I owed her. And I walked out of the room as she was speaking to me like I had just been to a house of ill repute. We got to be very careful who we look to for our counsel and for our advice. I was having a conversation with, with a, um, a relative, maybe, a, well, it was a couple of years ago, and what they said is that there, there is a depth in your messages that, that was not there the last time that I heard you. And I think a major reason why that was so is because we very wisely chose which church we would go to next. And in this congregation at, at the Westchester Church, I, I have found an entire village full of wise advisors. I can't tell you how much insight and, and how much wiser I am now because of the guidance of our shepherd Jerry Davis and his wife Denise, of Jim Lowry and his wife Maisie. I think about a sister like, like Susie Neff and Every time that she comes to my mind, I, in so many ways, am given um, a picture of what a Christian woman would have looked like 2,000 years ago. I mean, just so beautifully gentle and so sweet and just full of so much love that I never want to leave her company 
when I've had a privilege of being in it. And I could go down every single name in this congregation's directory. And I know for a fact that, that I am now stronger and wiser in Christ Jesus than I was before. And again, that's because I chose very wisely that I'm not going to go to just any church anymore. I'm going to choose a church that, that truly loves and values us in Christ Jesus. But regardless of what our advents are this morning, here is what is important for us all to remember. How in all of these trials, in all of this, this, this adversity of ours, where we're just waiting and waiting and waiting, Jesus, our wise, wonderful counselor, he's trying to impress something on our minds and to teach us and to train us you see, he wants to create something in our hearts that, that was not there before. My question for us this morning is, are we listening? Are we waiting in the darkness? Are we trusting and hoping that eventually there will be a light at the end of our tunnel? You see, what I've learned is that the counsel of our wise counselor and guidance advisor. It is there for us, but it's something that we have to actively seek and pursue as if there is no tomorrow. The words of his mouth have no power in our lives unless it is something that we abide in and abound in. And the wisdom of our wise, miraculous counselor only comes to us if we sit silently in prayer and in contemplation with it. In this place of prayer where we articulate our, our greatest fears. And we confess our sins and we, we let him know what our most urgent needs are out loud to him. As we then say, help me, Lord. Comfort me, Jesus. Holy Spirit, transform me as I wait and as I wait and as I wait. And I'm discovering that when we do this in the silence of prayer and meditation, this is where our weariness now becomes rest, where our ignorance blossoms into wisdom, where all hatred and bitterness within us is converted into the currency of forgiveness, where the faces of even our most violent violators now slowly begin to resemble the image of God that they have bore with us all along. And then as we return to a world engulfed in flames, if we will look very, 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 very closely, there might just be an air of love and of divine peace that, that was not there before Advent had started for us. And you know, this is why I can't even say the name Jesus in my prayers without my, my eyes welling up in tears and chills running up and down my spine. Now, tragically, Isaiah's listeners and Isaiah's audience had rescue available, but they chose to remain in the darkness. As Jesus comes into the world in the first century, Israel once again re regurgitates that exact same mistake where it says in the Gospel of John that the light was shining in, in the midst of the darkness as Christ comes. 
And yet the men and, and all the people love the darkness more than the light. And now we're the ones who are roaming this, this earth. And in so many ways, Jesus is offering and he's assuring us that one day, each and every one of our Advents is going to be a thing of the past. But in the meantime, you just have to keep listening to the wise, miraculous counselor. My loved ones, are we listening to him? Everyone has a fist full of Advent. And so what I want to ask you this morning and what I want to invite you and I to in the days ahead is, is first of all, we need to identify what our Advents are. Say them out loud. Whatever these, these situations and these circumstances are in our life that, that are making us say, God, are you ever going to show up to this? All of these, these things that, that make us silently cry out to God, Lord, how long? name our advents and then lastly once we have done that we need to take inventory of who is speaking truth into our life who have we made the oracles of truth in our ears and in our hearts is it hollywood or the 10 o'clock news is it politicians is it that Miserable human being who 29 years ago had said that, that you were a miserable, worthless, inferior failure, who we have made our source of truth for whatever reason? Or is our oracle of truth the wonderful, miraculous advisor, counselor, Jesus Christ? Regardless of what our Advent is this morning, his invitation to us comes from Isaiah chapter 59 or Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 6. Where God through the mouth of Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then at last in verses 8 and 9, read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As we close this morning, let us go to God in prayer. Wonderful, miraculous counselor, Christ Jesus. We absolutely hate to wait. Waiting is the hardest thing in the world for us to do, but it is an art form that you are calling us to adopt and to learn in the darkness. Lord, as we agonize in our Advent darkness, Lord, please deliver us in due time. Please give us a spiritual resilience to withstand all of the darkness that we are sitting in this morning and, and in so many mornings lately in our life. Lord, deliver us from 2020. Lord, please deliver us from a pandemic and from the coronavirus. Lord, please bring light into whatever darkness we 
are dragging around as a ball in a chain. Lord, please help us. Please teach us how to wait. And I pray that the longer that we wait, Father, the more rejoicing and the more beautiful our transformation is going to be in the morning. Lord, we love you and we wait for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.